This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. This is Alex, joined, as always, by my co-host, James. Hola. Today, we are excited to bring you the second episode in the Player Profiles series. However, first things first, we're going to talk about an incident including Moyes Keane, and then we will move on to cover Dominic Calvert-Lewin's young career thus far. So, James, first things first, Moyes Keane. Um, apparently, as of, I think, yesterday, news broke that Moyes Keane disobeyed rule lockdown rules, lockdown protocol for quarantine, and threw a party in which he had some strippers and had some fun. Uh, and a lot of the fan base, a lot of people, um, probably rightfully so, are, are kind of upset about it in general. How do you feel? It's It, it comes across as very insensitive, given the the sacrifices made by other people in society, people in, you know, in England, in the NHS, but globally, healthcare workers worldwide. Um, it, it just is tone deaf. It, it's stupid. It's a dumb mistake made by a kid who has shown that he is prone to making dumb mistakes every now and then. And who amongst us hasn't made a stupid mistake in their day-to-day lives, much less at the, the young age of 19, 20 years old? I think as a professional footballer, you have a high degree of visibility and you have a responsibility to to be a role model to some extent. But the people who are coming for his head saying Everton need to sell him, he needs to be gone, he's reckless, he's he's stupid, all of these things. Um I'm not I'm not reading into it that much. I'm reading it in reading it as he's a young player, very bored, a lot of time on his hands, and he just made a really, really dumb mistake. And he's a young, rich kid, and he he threw a party and Again, the fact that it was on Snapchat, apparently, which is how he was caught, just so naive that he thought that somehow that would be okay, that he could get away with it. And he's not alone, right? Like Jack Grealish was caught doing something similar. Kyle Walker with, I guess he threw like some kind of orgy with a bunch of (laughs) prostitutes or something like that. So it's clear that if you're alone with a lot of time on your hands and a lot of money, it it doesn't lead to the best decision-making processes. Right. I agree with that. And, and, you know, I just, I like to take these sorts of situations and apply them to just everyday life from our perspective. I mean, I'm pretty sure we know plenty of people that aren't exactly taking the whole quarantine thing very seriously. Um, obviously you see plenty of people all over on social media and like these weird videos of people protesting in groups, you know, like natural selection, I guess. But, um, (laughs) Yeah. Nonetheless, you know, like, you know, other normal people that essentially are doing the same thing, but because they're not playing in the Premier League with this microscope, they're not getting the same backlash, right? And so when you put it, when I put it in a perspective like that, I, I feel like it makes me think that it, you know, it's kind of normal to make a mistake like that. It's it, it's not a good look, like it, it doesn't make it right or good, and he shouldn't do it. Um, but hopefully um, the club will take action, swift action, um, and hopefully like just teach him a lesson, right? Because he, he did have a problem, um, a couple hand, well, a certain amount of months ago in which he was, you know, late to another 
team meeting, which we heard rumors about prior to him transferring to Everton, that it happened with the uh, the Italian national or under 21 team, right? And so it, these things kind of stack up. And that's why people, some people are kind of going ballistic and saying we should sell him, get rid of him. It's not worth it. I don't think that's the case, but I do think it's it's not good to do. It, it wasn't the right decision and hopefully he learns from it. Well, I don't know about you, Alex, but when I was 20 years old, I was definitely having ragers at my house every weekend with strippers. That was just the normal part of life for me. So, I mean, I can understand and empathize with, no, I'm kidding, obviously. But again, it's, it's a dumb kid making a mistake and I'm not even going to equate it really. I, you can make the parallel because it's another publicized incident as far as like the being late to meetings. And he was late to an, a meeting while at Everton, in addition to the one he was late for while on national team duty. It's a totally different situation where it was, okay, maybe you oversleep, you sleep through your alarm clock. And so you're 10, 15 minutes late to a team meeting. This is like, he, he had to have known that there were potential negative ramifications and he chose to do it anyway. So it's just a lapse in judgment. It's not like an accident that has that, that that the visual, the optics of it are really bad. This is a decision he made where he knew that the potential, um, the 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 way it would affect him and what the media would latch onto it. He had to have considered those things when going through that pro decision making process, and he did it anyway. So above anything else, it just strikes me as really, really immature and again insensitive to to the current climate that we're all living in. Right. So essentially, the club has stated that they are appalled by his actions. And um, from what we understand, he could be fined in the region of 100K uh, pounds, which is approximately two weeks worth of wages. I think that would be a pretty clear sign of intent from the club. It's just crazy. 100K and you're like, wow, that's probably more than 99% of people's salaries. And it's just half a month, half a month of and he's not even working right now. So he's getting paid. To, I mean, I assume he's doing some kind of individual training, but paid 50K a week just to sit around and, and throw parties. I mean, he must be going absolutely crazy, but there's way more constructive ways to, to have an outlet for your boredom than to do something like this. So it's, it's disappointing. I still think he has a potential long-term future at Everton, but it's another incident of where for some reason we just can't seem to, to, we have issues with young players and getting them to, mature and act as professionals all the time. And it's true for a lot of young people acro across the world and young athletes, especially, but it's just, it's just more fuel to the critics fire. And that's, what's most frustrating about it for me. Yep. Young Balotelli, the next Balotelli. Unfortunately, no, don't James. say that. Don't now, say I, that. I was being sarcastic, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> don't put that juju on Moyes. Don't you dare. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move into the bread and butter of this episode and talk about another very exciting young Everton player, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, we'll start off by talking about his youth career and then move into his senior career. Um, first things first, he was picked up by Sheffield United's youth system, Youth Academy, in 2005 when he was about seven or eight years old. And he played in the Sheffield United youth system from 2005 through 2014, so a solid nine years. And a fun fact, um, he actually started off by playing as a central midfielder in the youth system before he ended up moving to play as a striker. Yeah, and, and there's a story. So he was training as, yeah, like you said, a seven or eight-year-old with a group that was essentially made up of both Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United players. And a Sheffield United coach came up to him and said, hey, are you, is your name Dominic? And he said, yes. And the coach said, all right, come with me. And he just took him away and he was signed that very same day. And he played, and that was his his team that he had 
uh, followed growing up. Sheffield United was his club. So can only imagine what a dream come true that is for a, an eight year old to all of a sudden be picked up in the youth system with a, with a promising future for the club that you've rooted for your entire life. And interesting. Yeah. The center mid thing, because he definitely has like the size and build where you feel like he could be useful in central midfield, even at that age. Um, but the interesting connection here is that during his time in the Sheffield United youth system and a particularly interesting connection during his time at Sheffield United was that none other than David Unsworth uh, had served as the head of academy coaching for Sheffield United in the 2012-2013 uh, season. And then due to some managerial shifts at the senior level, served as the assistant manager at Sheffield United for a little bit as well before moving on. So it was there that Unsworth originally noticed Calvert-Lewin in the U setup, and that will come into play, obviously, later on as he made the move to Everton. Absolutely. So, you know, other Sheffield United Academy graduates, notable ones at least, include just a couple here, Kyle Walker, Harry Maguire, and then none other than Phil Jagielka, who we all know so well and who is actually there right now after leaving Everton last season. Right. And so those are... Those are three names. Well, Kyle Walker and Harry Maguire, especially a little bit older than Calvert-Lewin. So probably guys that he would have looked up to at the time, really starting to make their breakthroughs into the senior game at the time when he was just starting to come through the youth setup. Exactly. So as he came through the youth setup, um, as we mentioned, he was there from 2005 to 2014. He then ended up getting his first loan. It was only a month long loan, which if I'm going to be honest, James, I didn't know existed. But I think those are classified as like a youth loan of some sort. Uh, he was loaned to a sixth division team called Stalbridge Celtic, um, and he made his senior de- debut there. It was from December 2014 through January of 2015, and he actually made only five appearances, right? Scoring six goals and four assists, which was, uh, in my opinion, I mean, that that is a fantastic return on your first month of senior football, regardless of division, because, you know, you're, you're playing against grown men at center back as opposed to in youth academy setups. And um, although at that point in time, he was already six foot two inches, the same size he is now, obviously not as uh, muscular. Shout <laughs> out, ladies. Ripped. Yeah, the eight pack. Um, that's still super impressive. And that is really what kickstarted his senior career. Yeah, and he talks about it in interviews, just what a difference it was from going through maybe maybe pampered isn't the right word, but definitely access to really top tier facilities when you're talking about clubs that are in the first few divisions of English football to going to a six division club where they're practicing on publicly owned spaces that they rent out. The pitches that they're playing on are generally pretty poor. And so it's a huge adjustment. And like you said, Alex, going from playing against players your own age to playing against grown men, some who have been probably playing for a decade plus senior football. And actually, interestingly enough, his very first game for Stalabridge, he ended up in the ER after the first match. He took an elbow straight to the eye and had a cut under his eye in the first 20 minutes of the match. And a testament to his toughness, even at that young age, he went on to play the full 90 and ended up with two goals and an assist in his debut uh, for Stalabridge. Yeah, very impressive. I just want to know how that and how did that come about? Like, was his eye just straight up busted and he was bleeding a bunch and he just had to continuously stop and like take care of the blood or what? I'm not sure. Obviously, maybe the sixth division doesn't have as stringent rules as the Premier League might, (laughs) but you would imagine that blood's not still not allowed. I have no idea. Either way. Um, that's a fantastic first senior match period. doesn't matter what division you're in and, and it's exciting to, you know, 
it's exciting to dive deep into kind of the beginning of his senior uh, career. Yeah, and he he made a huge impact because at the time, the club were basically fighting relegation from the sixth division. And of course, that December, January window or that, that month-long span, as we know, having been uh, following Everton, we've been in some pretty dark positions over the last couple of years, right around Christmas, when things start to go south. And so what he did was he came in, gave them a huge boost, and really got them some results that they desperately needed. And here's a quote from um, his manager at the time, Keith Briggs. He said, he scored a barrel of goals at a time when the club weren't doing too well. It gave the entire club a lift and it took us up a league. In the end, he went down as a bit of a Stalabridge legend, even though he was only there six weeks or so. And this is this comes later on. I remember someone from the club lost his life and Dom donated a signed Match Day Everton shirt to raise money for the funeral. He's probably the best player to ever play for the club and is still highly thought of for things like that. So it's just a testament to Calvert-Lewin's class, A, that he didn't forget his roots and still looks after his former club, and that he was able to make such a huge impact at such a young age playing amongst grown men. Right. I mean, literally, right? Like he's being classed as from a from the manager at the time as probably the best player to ever play for the club, regardless of what division. I mean, he was a kid, so that's insane. That's really high praise. And, you know, I bet I bet that he he feels really happy about that. And he does I mean, he always comes off as a very genuine guy, but obviously instances like this kind of prove it. Because, you know, you know, sometimes you never know with all the cameras and that sort of thing and how trained uh, media trained players are in this day and age. Exactly. Yeah. And so after that, that lone spell to Stollybridge, he returned to Sheffield and he was given his second loan opportunity where he went out to Northampton Town in League Two. So moving up a couple divisions, playing against significantly higher quality opposition. And interestingly enough, he actually played for none other than Chris Wilder while at Northampton Town who, of course, now is the current manager of Sheffield United. And that was a half-season loan in 2015, uh, first half of the season from August 2015 to January 2016. And not quite as fruitful a spell as far as productivity in the goal-scoring department, but he did all right for considering the, the jump in quality and still being an extremely young player. He scored five goals in 20 appearances, so not too shabby. Right, and you know what? The thing Here's the thing about loans, though, too. When, when you sign for a club, when Everton, let's let's just take it from perspective, when Everton signs players for a club, specifically younger players, let's jump it back to Moyes Keane, right? Everyone said, including us, that it was going to take at least half a season for him to even gain his bearings, gain somewhat of an understanding of his teammates in training, understand what the manager is wanting, right? And so you can apply that same logic to a loan move and think that when, when you're getting a loan move and, and things, you know, you score a, a goal in essentially 25% of your appearances, but you you don't have half of a season to, you know, bet in and, and work with your team and work with the manager and understand what they want and what, you know, what your wingers want from you as a center forward or what helps the central midfielders hold possession as a center forward. Um, you just are in the deep end, you have six months and then you're done. And so I feel like that's a good way to put it into perspective in terms of just how tough it can be and why maybe loan moves can't necessarily always be looked at in the same light as a permanent move in terms of just stats and, and productivity. Yeah, and a totally fair point. And furthermore, he was also still relatively new to the position of striker as a whole. And so you think about all the adjustment, again, playing as better opposition, learning a new position, learning his trade, and to have that return five goals and 20 appearances is, is very solid. And furthermore, Northampton that season 
Of course, he was only there for the first half, but they did win the league and were promoted to League One. So all in all, pretty solid, well-rounded impact from DCL there. Exactly. So in January 2016, he ended up, he ended the loan spell and actually, you know, apparently he, he really enjoyed playing there and he wanted to continue the loan spell, but it did not materialize. So he came back to Sheffield United, um, which were in League One, and he was playing under the manager of Nigel Adkins at the time. And so for the second half of 2015 and 2016, he made nine appearances um, with no goals. Mind you, again, that was in League One. So another step up. Right. So probably not the ideal return to Sheffield that he may have hoped for, but still starting to make his presence felt in the first team, which again, just continuing to make gradual steps in the right direction. The following season in 1617, interestingly enough, Chris Wilder followed DCL from uh, Northampton back to Sheffield United, where he was appointed manager and still is to this day. And it was a really quick turnaround because he made one appearance that season. And then all of a sudden, guess who comes in for the kid? None other than the Toffees, Everton, and a coincidence. So the same day that he signed for Everton, and this was this was a David Unzor signing. Again, the connection back to um, the youth system at Sheffield. He had he had been, become familiar with the player. David Unsworth, with his own transfer budget, signed Dominic Calvert Lewin, and the very same day, Calvert Lewin received his very first England call up to the U twenty side. Yeah, it's interesting how that works, isn't it, right? We always complain about how the England national team, um, the senior national team, it tends to pick favorites, right? And and we all we say it all the time, all Everton fans say it all the time, oh, if so-and-so was playing for United, they would have gotten a call-up five years ago. You know what I mean? You know, if, if so-and-so played for Chelsea, they would have been called up already um, based on club name alone, not necessarily merit. And in this instance, maybe someone could make an argument that that the English English youth setup um, could have had the same kind of perception of him after he moved to Everton. Who knows? Maybe it was a coincidence. Yeah, and it's it's just interesting because at this point in his career, he really hadn't been all that prolific. Of course, making an impact in the lower leagues and doing that sort of thing, but in League One, again, he had yet to score a goal. And so the fact that David Unsworth saw him and remembered his potential and had seen his development in the subsequent years and decided to make the call on Calvert-Lewin. Um, and then, of course, others had obviously taken notice because it's not as if he he signed for Everton and then the the English FA or whoever's making the decisions for the squad is like, oh, he's Everton now, we're going to call him up. But clearly it was kind of factors all combining at the right time and things started to fall into place for it. Absolutely. So while at Sheffield United, obviously um, he wasn't there with the senior team a whole lot because he went through his loans and then transferred to Everton very quickly. But he played with a couple of interesting players. Um, the first one was Jose Baxter, who was formerly at Everton and had a really weird career and kind of crashed out of the top division. Well, you set up with Everton and, and who is now actually at Memphis um, Football Club, which is owned by Tim Howard. And our good we friend, Tim Howard. Yeah, we were actually told we were told this story, actually, um, when we were when we were getting a tour of Finch Farm uh, a couple months ago. He also played with Aaron Ramsdale, who is uh, the goalkeeper now at Bournemouth, a, a really talented young goalkeeper. And then lastly, this one shocked me probably the most. Um, David Brooks, which is like an attacking midfielder, left midfielder at Bournemouth as well, who is super talented. I think he's like 20 or 21 now. I believe he's Welsh. Um, and Everton Football Club, if you're listening, sign that guy. 
I like David Brooks a lot. And I was also surprised to see that connection. And just a little another tidbit on Jose Baxter and longtime fans of the club will know this, but he was like one of the most promising youth prospects that we've had in a long, long time. It was said that he was considered better than Wayne Rooney at like age 16. And I know he's had his struggles um, professionally and off the field, but it's it's really nice to see everything kind of come full circle with him now being able to play um, in the U.S. for Tim Howard and other blue. Right. And, and you know, it was actually mentioned that uh, I guess Tim Howard mentioned to a couple of the folks that still work over at Everton that a lot of the players over at Memphis FC are just in awe of the different flicks and tricks and just the ball control that Jose Baxter has and and really appreciate being able to share the pitch with him. So that's really cool to hear as well. Yeah, it's great. Now, without further ado, let's talk about Calvert-Lewin while in a blue shirt at Everton. One of the quotes I saw in an article, he was talking about the transition uh, from Sheffield United to Everton. And one of the things he, he just said, it's so it was so weird not putting on the red and white training top and, and kit week in, week out, getting used to wearing Everton colors. But he was signed at the very end of August uh, 2016. And of course, he has been here through the turmoil that has been the Blues over the last several years, where he's now played under six different managers, of course, began, made his senior debut under Ronald Koeman, and then played for Unsworth in the interim spell that he had. Sam Allardyce, Marco Silva, Big Dunk, and now Ancelotti. So he's seen a lot of different managers, probably gotten a lot of different feedback and learned a lot from each of them except Fat Sam because I hate <laughs> him and I refuse to believe that he contributed anything positive to the club in his time here. You know what? I echo that sentiment. I, on our notes, I shouldn't have wrote Allardyce. That was too respectful. Yeah, that's okay. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll cover for you. Nonetheless, uh, generally speaking, in his, in his overall Everton career this far, he's made 125 senior appearances with 32 goals. Mind you, 15 of those goals have been in the, well, I guess I'll call it the current season of 2019-2020. So a very good return um, this season thus far, obviously. And that just shows like his progression simply in the last year, uh, more specifically under Ancelotti. Yeah, and we'll walk through it year by year to kind of show his growth, which again, he's he's just improved so, so much in this particular season. It's a real shame with everything that's happened that's kind of prevented him from maybe seeing through. He could have put up 20 goals this season, and now it's looking like it's looking less and less likely by the week that we'll finish the season, but who knows? But I did think it was interesting. So we're talking about, you know, when he made the transition to senior football and talking about playing against grown men and the physicality, but he did have a quote in an interview with uh, 442 where he talks about coming to Everton and the the first thing, his first training session with the club, and he said... What made me go, wow, was the possession drills. No one really gave the ball away. It was just going boom, 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 pinging everywhere. So you think about, you know, playing against 35 year old guys who are pretty big and strong and shoving you around and bullying you a little bit. And then you go to a Premier League club, even if you're in the youth setup and just the technical ability, the skill jump. And so he was, he said he was extremely nervous when he first started. Just, I don't want to make a bad first impression. These players know what they're doing. They're they're incredible on the ball. And he talked about receiving the ball for the first time, going one, two, not giving it away and just feeling like that that sense of relief to not mess up. And I'm sure we've all sort of felt that way at one time or another in our lives. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool quote because I feel like, you know, we just get used to being able to watch Premier League football week in, week out, and we get pampered by the quality of the league. Um, I know specifically for 
a lot of our American friends that listen to the show, right? If you follow MLS, you know what I'm talking about. MLS is obviously a significant step down in, in terms of quality. And if you were to think about just possession and, and how how teams move the ball, it's a huge difference. And so it's interesting to think like you're just, you know, you're still a kid like 18, 19 years old, or I guess maybe closer to 20 at the time, moved to Everton. And then the first thing you realize is just how they possess the ball. I mean, that's, I, it, it seems so simple and, and, and like it should have been something that you could expect, but at the same time, it, I, I find that super interesting for sure. Most definitely. And then, so in that first season, 2016, 2017, it was mostly with the U23 setup where he, he played and he came in and, and scored four goals and nine appearances for the U23s, but he also opened his account for the senior side uh, towards the end of the season. I believe it was match week 28 and he scored uh, a goal for Everton in the ninth minute against Hull City in a game that the Blues ended up winning 4-0. You know, and I think that was I think that was the season in which Hull City started in the league and had like five players only a week or something or two weeks prior to the season starting. They like scraped together enough of the players, um, and including, I want to say, Umar Nias on loan sometime. Well, that would have been, was that Marco Silva's? No, he would probably, he was at Watford in 16-17. Nonetheless, Fantastic start for him, right? Yeah. Especially, especially since he's, he did play most of the time in the U23s. And, and I want to say the U23s won the league, um, that season as well. Of course. And then moving on to the next year, 17, 18, this was his first year as a regular starter for Everton. 38 appearances in all competitions. He ended up with eight goals and three assists. And this is, of course, in the wake of Romelu Lukaku's departure, where essentially we failed miserably to find an adequate replacement for him. And of course, this was also the same time where you had the weird situation with the summer transfer window and we ended up with three attacking midfielders and no real striker. And so through all that, I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin probably got a lot of unfair criticism during the entire year. Looking at a player, a huge jump in quality. Remember, the highest level that he would played at consistently prior to this had been the, oh, I guess even you could say League Two because he didn't really play consistently enough yeah. at Sheffield in League One. Yep. And so for him to come into a Premier League side and all of a sudden be leading the line week in, week out, eight goals and three assists, really not all that bad a return in hindsight. I think it was just in comparison to what Rom offered the team, um, people were just had, had unrealistic and unfair expectations. Yeah. And you know what? On top of all of that, just like the pressure, the pressure must have been insane too. And it probably it probably was kind it was probably pretty unfair for him just because of the fact that as you said i mean we we had Romelu Lukaku um for a handful of years who was people argue you know our best striker in the um premier league era at least and then you go and you have you know 20 21 year old dominic calvert lewin who just started you know really even regularly practicing with the first team let alone just started pretty much every match and so I think that long term, and, and and I firmly believe we still feel the effects of this long term. I feel like it somewhat hurt his image um, of the the fans, his image that the fans have of him, only because you know we needed a striker. We thought that that was going to be the promised season that we had been waiting for uh, for so many years after our huge transfer window, as you said, and a lot of these exciting players that came in, and so. It, it, it's 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 unfair, but obviously it didn't hamper him too bad. Yeah, and you can start to see. I mean, the the criticisms of Calvert Lewin that year were basically just the lack of goals because 
week in, week out, he really did an admirable job of leading the line in that he showed an uncanny ability to win balls in the air, his hold-up play. I just remember, again, some of the, the better opposition that we played that year, he was just so, so, so isolated up top every single week. And he still, the work rate was unbelievable. He would pressure the back line. He would win balls in the air. We've talked about it before, but I remember vividly a couple performances against Manchester City where he was really just bossing their their whole back line the entire match. And you start to see sort of the foundation being laid for what eventually sort of materialized this season. And one of those stats that I dug up was last year, Dominic Calvert-Lewin had the most one aerials per 90 minutes of any player under 25 years old in the Premier League. And that's players who had played more than than 15 times. There was, I can't remember, there was one player who had ridiculously distorted stats because he had like four appearances and like it, it ended up being like 19 one aerials. But players who played consistently, you can see for a young player, he he really has an unbelievable ability to win balls in the air. He absolutely does. I mean, his aerial ability has always been one of his strong suits. And as you said, just his his pure athleticism and stamina to be able to press back lines and chase down every single ball. Um, and those, those have always been his strong suit, but over the years, one of the, one of the biggest things in my opinion that we've seen him um, improve on other than his just straight up finishing and goal scoring ability has been his ability to play as a proper target man. As he's kind of grown into his body and built up a lot of muscle and has been putting in a lot of extra training with Duncan Ferguson, right? Because over the years, he's been training on his finishing after training sessions were officially over with Duncan Ferguson. And I think that that is a huge testament to Duncan Ferguson and his time with the team and how he's able to help mentor young players. Totally agree. And and what Calvert-Lewin brings to the table now, looking at him as a 23-year-old who's finally coming into his own, is just it, it continues to kind of amaze me how well-rounded he is where like you think, okay, a player that's winning balls in the air all that often probably is pretty big, maybe a little bit slow, but no Calvert-Lewin has really excellent pace and can, can beat players in a lot of different ways and cause problems for back lines in a lot of ways with his, with his runs in behind winning balls in the air. So he really has physically the complete package that you want from a number nine striker. And you can see that this year, of course, it's been by far his most comprehensive and successful season to date, where some some stats that I was able to dig up, six most aerials, one per 90 of players with more than 15 appearances. This is all age groups. Ninth most goals per 90 for players more than 15 appearances. Fourth most goals per 90 for players under 25. So in his age bracket, he continues to to differentiate himself and set himself apart as a truly elite prospect. And then... This one's very interesting because we talk about the holdup play. The only striker in the Premier League that has played more than 15 times and has given the ball away less is Jamie Vardy. And you talk about setting the bar high for strikers over the last three or four years since since Jamie Vardy came onto the scene, you'd have to argue he, he's arguably the best striker in the Prem. I'm not sure about best striker. He might have been for that for that one season, for the title winning season. But, but one, of, one of the best. Yes, he, he's, he's been consistent. And he's one of the best for sure. And uh, it's interesting to compare the two because they do have different styles, right? Like Jamie Vardy is very much a counterattacking, running behind, um, use your pace till you can't anymore type of striker. And then Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he does do that. He does run at back lines. He does counterattack well, but he also then holds the ball up, as you mentioned. Um, and in my opinion, physically, don't burn me at the stake. I hope I say this right. Physically, he could be compared to Romelu Lukaku in a sense that he is very well-rounded. He's quick. He's tall. He's strong. 
right? And so he can play different types of games depending on uh, what the match calls for. Um, but it's very interesting. I mean, that, and that's really important too, because as you've said, from the very beginning, from this 1718 season, he was always really good about being able to bring his teammates into the match, holding up the ball and, and letting them work their way up the pitch, right? It, it was just always about um, scoring goals and getting, getting his name on the stat sheet. And so, you know, we've, we've obviously very, very clearly started to see that with his 15 goals this season so far. Yeah, and he's talked about in interviews about trying to learn to be more selfish on the pitch, where maybe in previous seasons he's had more of an, he's been more inclined to try to create for his teammates. And now that he's learning more about positioning in the box, getting in the right place, right time. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say Calvert Lewin's never going to be one that's going to be regularly scoring goals from outside the 18 yard box. But by no means is that necessary to be a successful striker at the Premier League level. He's shown some really nice instinctual positioning this season, being in the right place, right time to just tap goals in. And I mean, he does have a nice knack for finishing from time to time. He scored some really quality strikes, quick one touch goals, getting the ball down to his feet quickly. And of course, his ability to head the ball. I mean, Pep Guardiola said one of the best headers of the ball he's ever seen. What more needs to be said than, than praise from the greatness that is Pep? That's very true. Actually, I completely forgot about it. Now you're getting me all hot and bothered again, James. You need to chill out. <laughs> so I'm just thinking about the APAC. You want to talk about hot and bothered. <laughs> and he did post another picture of him on a, on a, on a bike training the other day. It was kind of wild. Uh, but nonetheless, so we've covered his Everton career also. Let's briefly touch on his England national team career. So he debuted for the England U20s in 2016, right? And he ended up winning the U20 World Cup. Um, Adam Lookman and, you know, John Joe Kenny were part of that squad and he scored in the final in 2017. So for the U twenties, he made 14 appearances and scored six goals. And don't forget about Tom Davies and uh, Kieran Dowell were both in that world cup winning side as well. And he scored, yeah, he scored the winner in the first half of the world cup final. I mean, pretty impressive at, at that young age to, to have the composure. And it was a, if I remember correctly, it was a, a shot and then a rebound and then he followed it up and tapped it in. And from that point on, he's kind of been up and running and been really a, a fixture in the England U setup. Right, because then he made his England U21 debut in 2017. He has made, to this point, 17 appearances and seven goals. Um, and, and, you know, this season, 1920 season, he scored 15 goals. Everyone, including, I'm pretty sure both of us, were really hoping that he could warrant a spot at Euros 2020 with this with the senior national team um, because he has not appeared for them. He has not gotten a call up yet. And furthermore, because, you know, it was very questionable as to whether or not Harry Kane could return um, in time, like physically and to play. And so that it made a lot of sense based on the profile that he is, that he can play kind of a Harry Kane role, being strong, tall, physical um, target man, kind of different from a lot of the strikers in the England setup. Um, so it, it was, it was very disappointing that obviously the Euros were called off and that this would not be his, his real chance to take advantage of, of his situation and, and how well he's been playing. Yeah. The stars were really starting to look like they were aligning for him for getting that England call up. Like you said, the injury to Harry Kane, I think was probably really the only thing that would have realistically put him in contention. Like, I don't think that correct. I think England's probably two or three strikers deep without him, but again, he's still very young, still developing. Hopefully this is just a continuation of the growth and I'll, I'll be very much looking forward to see 
what he's able to do if the season ever resumes. And if not, then whatever he can, he can start to do next season, because I really think that as he continues to become more comfortable with his size and pace, he can be an extremely useful asset for Everton. I know there's been some questions whether he's our striker for the future, but for me, he's done enough this year to show that he at least needs to be in contention alongside, of course, like Moise Keane and, and some of the other options that we have. But he's so, so promising. And, and his work rate above anything else really just stands out to me as as exemplary amongst our, our entire team. So speaking of work rate, James, we have some fun facts that we found while doing our research that might not necessarily fit under you know, his his career progression and like the storyline kind of format we gave to you. But we'd like to talk about some of them. So again, speaking of work ethic, his first job, he was a paper boy when he was 13 while he was in school and while he was in the Sheffield United Academy. I found that pretty interesting, right? Obviously, um, very humble beginnings. Uh, I certainly did not have a job at the age of 13. So props to him. And I found that pretty. Do you think that he was like riding a bike around throwing papers or I'm picturing him with like a backpack full of papers and he would drop kick volley the papers onto onto his uh customers doorsteps <laughs> I'm not sure I'm not sure maybe I mean he could have still been playing as a central midfielder at the time so maybe he decided to just spray it from the middle of the street you know what I'm saying work on short yeah, and okay. long range passing I like that mental image that's a good one um another couple tidbits uh when asked which player he modeled his game after he said none other than Chelsea legend Didier Drogba. So not not bad company to, you know, model your game after. Obviously, Drogba, renowned header of the ball. So I, I, you can see kind of some similarities there. If if Calvert-Lewin has even a fraction of the success in his career that Drogba had, I think he'd have to be pretty, consider himself very fortunate. Absolutely. Um, really interesting when asked who is the toughest defender he played against was. What did you make of that, Alex? So I was actually shocked and I still don't know what to make of it, but he said Tony Rudiger at Chelsea, the center back. Um, now, okay, Tony Rudiger is, uh, he is a pretty highly rated center back. He's still pretty young as well. I think he's only like a year or two older than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, yeah. I obviously, obviously have respect for the guy. Like he's not at Chelsea because he's not a good player. Um, I will say that, you know, I expected maybe a different name, not sure who's. But I'll, I, I am very thankful that the name of the defender that he mentioned was not in a red kit. Yes, precisely. And and I think actually most Chelsea fans, if if I could be completely off base, having not interacted with them all that much, but I think it's a pretty commonly held opinion amongst their fan base that Rudiger is their most consistent and solid center back. So it's a pretty decent shout. And then, you know, his first football heroes that he had growing up, none other than Thierry Henry and Ronaldinho. I mean, no surprises there. I think if you asked players of that age around the world, probably 95% would say Henri and Ronaldinho. They were just absolutely unprecedented stars for, for that time and, and great players in their own right. So no surprises there. One thing that was super interesting, just because this is coincidental, but he said his, his first favorite rap album was 50 Cent's Get Rich or Die Tryin'. And coincidentally enough, I was actually just listening to that album this morning. So I did want to mention that briefly because it's also one of my favorites and a true classic. So, you know, the reason why the reason why I added that uh, to our fun facts, you know, I, ne I don't necessarily think that our listeners would would care about his first album. But the other thing, too, is I was in fourth grade riding the bus to and from school in Panama City, Florida. And my bus driver would legitimately play that album, the explicit awesome. version, on the bus <laughs> on the way to and from elementary school. And so I got pretty accustomed to it. So I guess, I mean, me and Calvert-Lewin were just one and the same across the world at this, you know, back in 0405. 
That was, I think that was the first rap album that I ever like, I purchased the CD of. I remember putting <laughs> it on being like, wow, this is, it's so good. And I don't know how many of our listeners actually listen to rap, but if you do and you, for whatever reason, have not heard that album, you should definitely go check it out because it is front to back phenomenal. Uh, but I think with that note, <laughs> completely unrelated to anything else we've talked about, that's, that's, I don't have anything else on Calvert Lou and Alex. Any last thoughts or comments? No, we, um, you know, we've been working really hard on these player profile episodes. And so we hope you enjoy them. Please, I mean, please give us feedback uh, or, you know, let us know what you found interesting about the episode. Furthermore, you know, we're, we'll take suggestions for the next player that we do a player profile for um, next weekend. And so also hit us up and let us know. Otherwise, if you're not in our Discord, join our Discord server. The link is in the description. Follow us on social media, also in the description. And until next time, up the toffees. Yeah, also in the description. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg/atp and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.